You're listening to Nutrition Matters Podcast with Paige Smathers, Registered Dietitian Nutritionist. Nutrition Matters Podcast explores how to approach food and your body in a whole new way. I interview people who share stories and expertise in rejecting diet culture, making peace with food, and discovering a more positive, realistic, and sustainable approach to health and well-being. I'm Paige Smathers, Registered Dietitian Nutritionist and owner of Positive Nutrition, an in-person nutrition therapy practice in Salt Lake City, Utah. I offer free resources, including this podcast, a blog, and posts on social media. If you're local to Salt Lake City, check out our services and availability for appointments and keep your eyes out for in-person groups on mindfulness, intuitive eating, body image resilience, and more. Go to positive-nutrition.com and hit subscribe if you'd like to keep in touch. I also offer online courses covering topics like the science of nutrition, mindfulness, and healing your relationship with food. Check those out at positive-nutrition.com slash academy. If you like what you hear on the podcast, you can make a difference by leaving a review, sharing with friends and family, or making a donation. Thank you so much for your support. You can also find me on Instagram or Facebook if you'd like to have a little more food for thought at Paige Smathers RD. Thank you so much for listening. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Nutrition Matters Podcast. My name is Paige Smathers, and I am your host, and I'm stoked to share this conversation I had with Kimmy Singh with you. So let me just introduce Kimmy really quickly. Kimmy Singh is a registered dietitian in New York City. She completed her Master's of Science in Nutrition at the University of North Carolina at Greensboro and her dietetic internship at the City University of New York Hunter College. She is an associate at LK Nutrition, a health and health at every size practice that supports clients who are trying to heal their relationship with food and body. She also presents and consults on weight stigma and dietetics and dietetics training. She is a firm believer in kindness, compassion, and the power of advocacy. And feel free to follow Kimmy at uh, bodypositivedietitian.com or on Instagram at bodypositive underscore dietitian. So we are bringing you this conversation we had about fatness in Indian culture. So I just want to say that right up front, this is two tricky topics. Um, I am fascinated by culture and how it intersects with our relationship with food and our body. And in no way do Kimmy or I want this to be construed as uh, this is the end-all be-all conversation about um, fatness or and or Indian culture. This is just Kimmy's experience. This is she's sharing sort of her experiences growing up and um, in school as to become a dietitian and what it was like to occupy these different identities and what her process has been like in um, healing her relationship with food and working toward um, her degree and her profession. So I've loved this conversation so much, but we do really want to be careful to just say like, this is not um, hopefully in- intended to come off like we are talking uh, about this is, we are the experts on this topic or Kimmy's the expert on on this intersection. She is the expert, but she is not the only person who occupies these identities and she's just sharing her own personal experience. So Thanks so much for being here, and as always, I just appreciate your support and your listenership, and I'm so glad you're here. Enjoy this conversation with Kimmy Singh. Hi, Kimmy. Thanks so much for joining me. Hi, Paige. Thank you for having me. 
You're so welcome. So, Kimmy, talk about who you are and what you do. Introduce yourself to the audience if they don't already know you. Yeah. So, well, I'm a fat, very soon to be dietitian. And by soon to be, I mean like I'm taking my test in days. <laughs> so, as we're very recording soon this. to be dietitian. And probably when people this. are listening, you're done. <laughs> oh, fingers crossed. Yay. <laughs> yeah. So, and so I work at a private practice here in New York City where I see clients with eating disorders and disordered eating. And I'm also the community and content associate for Food Psych, temporarily filling in for Vincy while she's out on maternity leave. Oh, that's awesome. So I always like to think about people who are new to this space and maybe they found my podcast because they searched nutrition into their podcast search engine, right? So Mm -hmm. when when you introduce yourself and you say, I'm a fat, soon to be registered dietitian, just talk a little bit about the word fat and why you choose to use that as you talk about yourself. Oh, yeah, definitely. So I use it as a totally neutral descriptor. And I I guess like like many other people I grew up use kind of describing myself sometimes as overweight. And I just felt like, oh, that's okay. But then later, as I realized just how connected that is to like, using BMI and calling bodies unhealthy, just because of their weight, I just decided, oh, I don't want to use that word anymore. (laughs) And so there are lots of words I use. Sometimes I'll use larger bodied or a person of size. And yeah, I'm really comfortable using the word fat. But I also feel like I understand that it's a process and not everybody's comfortable using that word. And there's no, I guess there's no right way to describe your own body. Yeah, it's just what what you're comfortable with. It's a very individualized and personal choice, right? Mm -hmm. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And for me, it's been really liberating to kind of reclaim it in that way. (laughs) Yeah. The reclaiming of words um, like fat or even the word healthy, um, you know, that word can be fraught with diet culture stuff. But really, the way I use that word is I think about it as like a, a whole healthy human who the things that are important to them that make them feel whole and well are in balance with Mm -hmm. one another. But you're right. There is some trickiness in using some of those words because people have, there's such strong feelings and connotations associated with them. Yeah, exactly. And it took me a while to neutralize it, honestly. I bet. Um, Yeah, it's definitely, it's a word that can be a really deep, like painful word for a lot of people. Um, yeah. So if a listener's in that place with it, they're not wrong or bad for feeling that way. Mm-mm, you're not wrong or bad and you're not doing body positivity wrong. There's no such thing. Yes, I love it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah very, I feel very strongly about that. Yeah. Thanks for touching on that. I know, you know, when you personally are in a place where you've done the processing and done the work to reclaim and to neutralize descriptors and things like that, it's, it can be like, oh yeah, there are people out there who haven't done the same amount, like haven't had the same process as me. So sometimes it's good to mm-hmm. just kind of like, yeah, take it's a step back and be like, okay, yeah. wait, for other people, this might sound weird or be really new. So let's talk about it. So thanks for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no problem. So Kimmy, tell me about, um, I'm so fascinated with this topic. I think my listeners who have listened for a little while will know that I am really fascinated by culture and how that informs our feelings about our own bodies and our approach to food and all of those things. I think it's a fascinating intersection. Um, Mm -hmm. And I also think that we should highlight as we're talking about you and your story and kind of 
how you came into be a dietitian, I think it's important for us to really uh, be very concrete and specific about what it was like to go through your schooling and your program um, as a person of size. How was that for you? How did that feel? How did you navigate that? And also, what would you want people listening who are thinking, I want to be a dietitian, but that's only for skinny white girls or whatever they're, they might be thinking. Um, I would love to hear kind of what you would say about that. Cause I know that comes up quite a bit. Of course. Yeah. Well, there were a lot of hurdles and there were times it felt like, Oh my gosh, do I belong? Is this a terrible career idea? And I mean, I will say like on my first nutrition class ever, I remember the professor joked about just like, oh, I I miss the days when you didn't have to kind of like be so quote unquote politically correct and you could just call people fat. And like he wasn't reclaiming the word, (laughs) you know, like he was saying it in a really negative way. And so this was kind of my first introduction to this field in a professional way. And so it was definitely kind of like, oh my gosh, this is going to be terrible. And honestly, like throughout my time studying and getting my master's, it was wasn't all terrible like there were at the beginning it felt really difficult and then like I would say not too soon after I started to meet local health at every size providers and they were so supportive and so having that close support made a really big difference and I slowly became like more vocal in my own department and I started to get support from professors in my department and so like I mean one of my professors ended up throwing me a bridal shower (laughs) and Yeah. And like another professor, like I know she's very committed to discussing weight stigma with all of the dietetic students. And she's the she's the actual director of the program. And um, yeah, like so since then, it's been a bigger topic of discussion. And I think before I was there and before I was vocal about it. Yeah, like they may not want most of them don't want to intentionally cause harm, but they really don't have the vocabulary to address it, especially if they're kind of coming at it with this very traditional fat phobic lens of discussing health and bodies. And so like, it really was difficult at first. I mean, like there were times where I was turned away from volunteering opportunities after people saw that I was fat. And so like the actual steps to getting into the internship and all that, I would say it was I mean, like the stigma was real. (laughs) It was so real. And it was really hard to sit in classrooms when people are kind of debating like your existence, um, just like for being in your body. And so like there most days it was really difficult. But yeah, I also felt a lot of support by the end. And like when I graduated, I received an award and I felt very recognized for my support towards like ending weight stigma. Um, Yeah. So I mean, Gosh, there are times I feel so cynical about it because I know we have such a long ways to go. Like, I can't say it's a fat positive department, but like truly, like there are so many improvements. And I think if you can, if you want to study this, like there are so many people rooting for you. (laughs) And if you can find some local Hayes providers, I just, I don't know if I could have done it without having support from the health at every size community. And if you're listening and you want to study nutrition and you don't know if your body is the quote unquote right body to do it believe me, like we need you in this field. I will second that. When, when I see those questions come through either in my personal DMs on social media, or if I see someone in a group that I'm in, a a fellow provider sharing um, a question that they received saying, I don't know if this field is for me. Like just, I I just want to second what you said. I completely 
agree that we need as many voices, as many experiences, as many backgrounds, as many body sizes, as many identities um, occupying these roles because you can do work that I can't do, Kimmy, you know? Um, mm. And and that's, that's yeah. what's so cool and fun about this field is there's a, there's a place for everyone, yet we do have to be really honest that this is not an easy thing to pick. I'm sure you have had a lot of work you've had to do to overcome, uh, you know, comments or um, just, I'm sure you have not been treated kindly 100% of the time. Oh, yeah, definitely. And it's, I'm not going to say like, it's, it's necessarily a safe environment, you know, to go into most nutrition classrooms, because that's not the case. But I don't know, like, if you if you feel like you have the support, I'd recommend trying it if it's something you're interested in. But if you ultimately decide, hey, maybe this isn't for me, like, there's no there's no such thing as like failure in this. Yeah. Like, it's, you know, it's a difficult path. And you're not if you feel like it's not for you, that's totally okay. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Take care yeah. of yourself. Don't, don't be the martyr. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So yeah. can you share anything that, that worked well for you to navigate the moments where you're in class and people are debating your existence? Like you described that really hit me hard hearing that. Um, I can't imagine yeah. how that must have felt. And I'm just so interested to know what, what made you so resilient? What, what did you do? Or how did you think about this stuff that helped you get through? Yeah, well, I mean, gosh, I think in the moment, like I had to decide, like, can I get through this moment? And also, I, I don't know, I feel like I always wanted to speak up at every chance and say this and say that. But I also felt like, okay, where, how do I have my self-preservation in all of it? And, you know, how can I get through this class and still get a letter of recommendation if I need it and all that? And so kind of like, it felt like it was towing a line, you know, and finding what professors were comfortable discussing, like, even if they weren't necessarily open to debating a lot of the research, like semantics about, um, like, how we're describing bodies, a lot, most of them really were open to discussing weight stigma and how it's affecting healthcare avoidance or whatever, and kind of like finding that entry point. And then like when you can find the entry point, like you really can open some eyes to what fat people are going through. Um, yeah. And I guess, gosh, and like, I'd also recommend if you can like just be in contact with people that are like-minded, cause it can be really overwhelming if that's all you're hearing and those are all the messages that you're seeing. So like in real life, like in your real community to be in touch with people that are really supporting you through this, like that was so important for me. I love it. So it sounds like kind of, if I could summarize what you're saying, it sounds like picking your moments that make sense that aren't going to be detrimental for you as a student, but, mm -hmm. but maybe kind of holding back sometimes to, in self-preservation or just because it's not worth it or because you just don't have the energy that day mm -hmm. and being okay with not always being on your guard and educating everybody, but holding yeah. your head high and just saying like, I deserve to occupy space in this classroom just as much as anyone else. And I don't need to debate that every second. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, like, if it was a day where I went through my internship and I just had a full shift at the hospital and I had to pull an all-nighter tonight and I'm studying for a quiz 
and I hear somebody say something fat phobic, like, oh my gosh, I just can't give them the energy. I can't, I can't do it that day. And that's okay. Um, but then but maybe all- bringing that to your, your health at every size, like community in person and be like, oh, this happened at school. I'm so bugged. And they're like, yes. oh, we hear you. We're here for you. Mm-hmm. We support you kind exactly. of thing, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Having that outlet somewhere else. Yeah. That sounds like such a good balance. And I think what's so tough about this, I would imagine, so obviously not speaking from experience here, but just kind of putting myself in your shoes, I just feel like you have to, in order to do what you're saying, to kind of like pick your battles and to stand up for yourself and to say, hey, weight stigma is real and look at this research. Um, When you raise your hand and say that in a classroom setting, everyone's going to turn and look at you and see your body and you have to just you have to have done some work to be able to be that person who like I don't who's brave enough to to use your voice and still brave the judgment or the looks or the whatever else might come as a result and I just I just mad props to you Kimmy because it sounds like you helped make your department a better place Thank you. Thank you very much. And that's, yeah, that's something I've heard from other people. And it it feels very surreal now. I mean, I'm just a regular person. But if I could do it, like you could do it, anybody else could do it. And yeah, thank you. Yeah, that's awesome. Mm. Oh, I love it. Okay. So tell tell us a little bit about our topic for the day. Um, You and I were corresponding and I was like, Kimmy, you've got to come on the podcast. What should we talk about? What are your favorite topics? And you gave me a few choices one of them being fatness in Indian culture. And I was like, yes, let's talk about that. (laughs) So will you just kind of introduce us to this topic, talk about what interests you about it, um, why it's relevant to you and kind of maybe some broad strokes and then we'll dive in. Yeah, definitely. So I'm half white, half Indian. And I guess like as I, I mean, I feel like with my racial identity, that's one really interesting thing to explore. But as I've explored my identity as a fat woman, I just became more and more aware of like how this is not a topic, you know, that we're hearing Indian voices in and that's not necessarily happening at large in the Indian community. Um, Yeah. So it's something I'm really passionate about. It's also something like I'm figuring it out and I'm, I'm learning it, you know, I guess how to best deliver it to the community myself. And yeah, there's so much and there are so many like differences and similarities between other cultures. Um, yeah, so it's, it's I'm really passionate about it. So can you tell us about like growing up? So you had a racial identity of Caucasian and Indian was was the parent that was Indian? Did they take you to cultural events or religious yeah. things where you were really involved in the Indian community? Kind of give us an idea of how much mm-hmm. your Indian heritage played or plays a role in your everyday life. Yeah, good question. So I mean, yeah, like I was very involved in the Indian community or like in my religious community too growing up. And like my grandmother lived with me for most of my childhood who from my Indian side. <laughs> and um, it definitely had a major role like when it comes to certain topics. And then there are other topics where I'm like, no, I don't know if it necessarily. So it just, it depends, I guess, what area of my life. But It was such that I felt like I was a member of the Indian community and I was definitely affected by just like the ideas about bodies and also the ideas about what you should and shouldn't be doing, you know, to be acceptable in this community. Um, Yeah. So it was... So you had grandma around um, Mm -hmm. 
so that that says to me, at least maybe someone who's uninformed with this, but that says to me that maybe there's a little bit of old school, like this is how we do it. <laughs> this is the tradition. Was Was there a dynamic like that there? Oh, yeah, definitely. Oh, for sure. Especially when it comes to like women in America. I guess like one thing I feel like I've heard a lot was just how much easier it is for women here or girls. And yeah, totally. Okay. So what were the messages that you absorbed about food and bodies growing up in, uh, in like that Indian cultural kind of heritage events and cultural things that you participated in religious ritual mm-hmm. or whatever it might be? What, how, how did you absorb these messages and what were they? Yeah. Well, so I guess like just painting the picture for you, um, my family was definitely working class and I feel like, oh my gosh, so much unresolved, like transgenerational trauma. And there was definitely this hope that this hope that they could like provide me with a better future. And so for them, a better future meant like, okay, education, like a good job, maybe like a happy marriage and also like not being fat. (laughs) And so So is marriage... um, a big thing in Indian culture? Is it like that is the pinnacle of, of life? Yeah. Well, marriage is, oh gosh. Um, for most people in India, marriage is just something you do aspire to. And it's just kind of like considered part of like early adulthood and, um, just like how you fit in society. Like the wedding itself is one thing. And then marriage means something different for, for men and women. And so, Like, for a lot of women, especially, like, in more rural parts of India, getting married is kind of, like, the next step to your life, and you're really leaving your family to go to this other family, like, your permanent family. And it's really terrible because, like, so much value is placed on, like, your marriage ability, I guess. So, so like, in an arranged marriage, like, literally, if you open, like, an Indian newspaper or an Indian magazine, <laughs> you'll see kind of, like, um, little ads, almost, like, job classified ads, where it's for arranged marriages, and you'll see something, like, um, uh, okay, this person is, like, fair and slim, and they have a good job, and this is their height, and they're looking for a man that, like, is this and that. <laughs> and so there's just kind wow. of this these um, traits that are put in this way that's very like utilitarian and yeah so it's a really different way to look at it and I mean like I didn't have an arranged marriage like there are lots of people that don't have arranged marriages and I know lots of people that have had arranged marriages that are very happy and like I don't I'm not against arranged marriages but I think it just highlights the way we discuss bodies and kind of these traits and their in their potential to help you get married so young Kimmy, eight-year-old Kimmy, are you, have you already sort of absorbed like marriage is critical? It's a, you're going to get married. And in order for that important thing to happen for you, your body must look this way. And like, did you, do you feel like it started at a young age, sort of those messages? Um, sort of, I mean, and it wasn't something I was hearing, like, you know, from my Caucasian side, but like, Hmm. It was, I was starting to hear those messages. And so I wasn't somebody who was thin, but at that time I also wasn't fat. So I was somewhere in the middle and I can just remember like my body being this topic for discussion of how like, okay, well we don't want her to be fat. 
And like in this household, like we're going to do this and this. So we avoid it and blah, 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 blah. But then it also felt like as I was getting older into like my preteens, people started commenting about how fair I was. And so it kind of felt like this currency. I had like, okay, well, I don't have the thinness, but I have the fairness. And so I have one thing going for me. Wow. And there's this one memory that like sticks out. And I can remember like my childhood friend, it was a sleepover. We were like sleeping in our sleeping bags at her house. And she was like, we were just kind of complaining because neither of us were thin, maybe like just the ch- on the chubby side, whatever. And we're complaining about how we wish we looked different. And I remember her saying, well, like, you're lucky because you like you have light skin and light eyes. So like you have this thing. And like in my household being half white, we didn't discuss skin color in that way. So when people started saying that to me, it was sort of like this new thing I didn't know I had. And then I was, I don't know, I felt like, oh my gosh, so I have one thing going for me. And it wasn't until a little bit later when I realized, you know, it's totally rooted in white supremacy and anti-blackness. Yeah. And so I guess exploring that from a different lens was really eye-opening. Yeah. And like now, yeah, like, and I don't know if you've heard about this or maybe if your listeners have, but I mean, like skin bleaching creams are just like very mainstream in India like very very mainstream it's like so commonly advertised and it's and it also totally endorsed by so many celebrities like the Indian version of Tom Cruise endorsing <laughs> this <laughs> this like skin bleaching cream like and so um yeah um, I don't know it's a really big issue and like there are activists now with social media that are you know speaking out and doing such great work and I I just, I have so much privilege in that particular area. Like, I didn't hear those messages from my parents growing up. Um, Yeah. Oh, that is so, that's so sad. I mean, I know, I know about the skin bleaching thing and I've heard about it, but just to hear it from, from your perspective and sort of that moment at that sleepover where you realize, whoa, I didn't even know that that was a thing and... Mm -hmm to kind of carry that for so long in your life and then to start to process it in a different way. Like, wait a minute, that's rooted in so many systemic, systemic oppression, things that I don't really want to be a part of or identify with. That must've been really confusing. Yeah, no, definitely. And I guess like when I did learn about it, it was, yeah, it was a little bit later. It was quite some time that I held on to that. And Yeah, it was really confusing. And it also was another thing where the messages around skin color were different for men and women, like in the part of India where I'm from, like, I don't think it's the same in other parts of India. But so if you're a man and you have darker skin, like people aren't necessarily commenting on it in my part. But then if you're a woman, it's like, oh, my gosh, you need to stay inside. You can't get too dark, blah, 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 blah. And yeah, there's so much to it. And it's not even, you know, it's not my story. Like I, I, I only know so much from not having it as my lived experience, but um, it's just very mainstream and it's not really being debated about like if it's okay or if it's racist. It's just like, no, you don't want to, you don't want to, just like you don't want to like get sick and have a cold. That's something you don't want. Like you don't want to look dark. Like it's just something that yeah. is seen as such a black and white truth. I had a friend in high school who was of Indian descent, and I remember she quit the swim team because she was getting too dark. Yeah. I'm like, like, this isn't worth it, you know? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And, you know, like, 
but I think I mentioned to you about just how like the ability to get married is such a big thing in parts of India. And so, I mean, it's, I guess it's more than just like the picket fence, like in some parts of India, it's like, okay, like, will you ever be able to have a child? Or like, if you don't get married and our family can't really like, um, continue to support you, like, what are you going to do? Are you going to end up getting married to a family? And they're not going to treat you well. So it becomes like, how can you use this currency of like Indian beauty standards to kind of have a little bit of a better life? Mm. And it's just, yeah, it's really twisted. And it, like I said, like it's not all of India and now some things are changing, but it's still a lot of the reality. So like there are these really big giant issues going on. <laughs> and so how does fatness play into all of it? It kind of feels like in a country where like, I think almost like two thirds of the population is living in poverty. It's so hard to kind of discuss something like body positivity and fatness, you know, just with Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Like, um, yeah, it's, I guess it's hard to shift the attention there. Sure. Yeah. And so in, in India, there's, there's cultural um, influences beyond like Western movies and celebrity, there is a huge celebrity scene there too. Is that, is that right? Oh yeah, definitely. And I mean, gosh, it's so funny. Cause like all of the celebrities, oh my gosh, most, <laughs> I don't know like how, which percentage of them actually bleach their skin. But if you look Bollywood, that's like Indian Hollywood. If you look up Bollywood actors and actresses, most of them are essentially all of them have very fair skin, like the same color. And I mean, I would bet you anything that like 100% of them use some sort of skin lightening cream. And so I feel like they definitely don't look anything like the like um, actual population for the most part. Much and less then, the people who are in poverty and who are outside working hard all day long. They're like, you know, so mm -hmm. do you think that the skin color thing might have to do with like status and privilege and monies because you can be inside more if you have more money kind of thing? Oh yeah. Well, definitely to an extent. And I also think to another extent it has to do with like looking more white and less black. Cause yeah. like, because uh, I mean, there it, that that's totally true, and that's definitely the case. But also, like, um, a lot of the people that are you know born that and they're mostly inside for most of their life, not exposed to the sun, like their skin is just a bit darker than what's reflected, like in um the Indian like celebrity scene. So yeah, like they're giving this really unrealistic way to look and kind of have a body, and yeah, like I don't know. And I think that, like, one really common thing I hear, like, what that I've he heard in my family growing up and also, like, in amongst my peers and kind of elders in the community is that just, like, oh, in America, like, people are too concerned with racism. And, you know, like, in India, we don't have this and this, but people here are just worried about, like, you know, these little things. And there's just this mentality of like come here and put your head down I don't care if somebody is like mean to you because like your coworker treats you like trash because they're racist like you need to make money to support your family and in India like you wouldn't even have the chance to do this but mm. then like so when I tell them okay but if there wasn't the civil rights movement you know in America because people were concerned about racism you wouldn't even be able to come here and work and make money and so there's this disconnect of like not realizing how the two are really connected. Oh, interesting. 
So how did all these themes play into your experience, Kimmy? Like kind of talk about growing up and culturally relevant things plus sort of body size uh, elements and messages. How, what was that like for you? Yeah. Oh my goodness. Um, well, like I said, like just growing up, there was definitely this concern of you don't want to be fat. And I felt like as I was getting older, it became harder and harder to like keep on dieting. And in college, like my relationship with food just like really got so rocky. And I'm very transparent and share that I had an eating disorder. And it was just, yeah, it felt really confusing because in recovery, I would hear messages about, oh, like, um, love your body. And I just knew that like in my community, that's not really the way you discuss bodies. And I'll never forget, oh my goodness, <laughs> I had a dietitian and she is not health at every size. Like, I doubt she's ever going to listen to this, but even if she does, it's okay. But, um, and I feel like she was very infatuated with Indian culture and kind of this idea that, oh, it's this mystical place of yoga and everything is good there. And I remember when I told her like, no, like this isn't something that's acceptable in my culture. And I was so nervous to tell her this. And she just immediately shut me down and was like, well, that's not what I've seen in your culture. So I'm not sure if that's just your family. And I was like, no, you're white and you don't know my culture. (laughs) But at that time, I didn't like, I don't know, I couldn't find the words to say it. So you're trying to Mm -hmm. advocate that, like to say, to explain to her that love your body is not culturally relevant for you. Is that, is that right? Did I hear that right? Yeah, I was, yeah, I was trying to explain that it was just like, there were cultural barriers there that I didn't feel like she was grasping. Um, Okay, so what would would be a more culturally sensitive way to approach that conversation? Yeah, great question. So I think the first thing would be to listen and ask more about that. Like, what are some things specifically, (laughs) like, what are some things specifically that I've said, you know, that you feel like doesn't apply And how can I do better to make sure that your experience is being brought in here fully? Because even though I won't necessarily understand it from my lived experience, it's important that there's space for it in your recovery. That's awesome. Yeah. So what about love your body wasn't culturally relevant for you? Help us understand. Yeah, gosh, it just felt like there are so many other things you should be worried about just in terms of more survival and putting the attention there, like on loving your body, kind of going against the grain in a like collectivist culture. It felt like there were specific challenges. Like in a collectivist culture, there is more value placed on like going with what others are doing and sort of, I feel like there's just more focus there. And that's what, that's what, that was a really big disconnect and was was yeah. that just completely inaccessible to you, given that collectivist versus individualist culture? Um, sometimes the love your body message is inaccessible to a lot of people, regardless of, of cultural barriers, just sort of personal, mm-hmm. like, okay, that just feels so impossible, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I, I think like, Yeah, there was just more to it. And, you know, like, there's nothing wrong with saying, like, love your body. But it's just when when that's the message that's kind of being put on everybody blindly, like, without recognizing just how nuanced it could be for people in cultures, you know, where that's just not the focus or even deciding what to love, you know, or put your attention on or who to love. Yeah, it can 
yeah, it can be just challenging for people coming from a different place. For sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So as your family has watched you um, go to school to become a dietitian and you've you've gotten more solid and grounded in your approach to bodies and food and all of that. I'm, I'm really interested to know how's the advocacy at home <laughs> going. <laughs> that might be a personal question. Good so you question, don't need to Answer, but just curious. Yeah, <laughs> yeah great question. So, hmm, I mean, I don't know if they completely understand everything I do. Like they try, and they're really happy that I'm doing what I love, and. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I don't know. Like their own relationship with diet culture is one that I feel like for me to have a healthy relationship with them. Yeah. I don't know. I, I try not to dissect it too totally. much. Like, you know, in our conversations. Yeah. yeah but, so, so yeah. in other words, your relationship with your family is more than talking about bodies and food all the time. Yeah. And so that's just something I feel like, I don't know if they'll ever fully understand it. And and that's okay. Like, I just, I'm not going to talk about body and food in a way that, you know, doesn't sit well with my values. And they're like, they're supportive and knowing that I'm doing what I love. And yeah, so I don't yeah. know. It's kind that's, of, I think that's all an you interesting thing. For. And I'm, yeah, for sure. And it might change in a different way in time. Sure. We'll see. <laughs> you know, and I always yeah. tell people too, like, um, it's hard for me to talk about this stuff on a personal level with friends and family. Um, it's what I do for a living and I'm good at explaining why I approach things the way I do, yada, yada. But when it comes to, you know, the family gathering and everyone's eating food and hanging out and having small talk, like I, you won't find me, (laughs) you know, challenging when they say stuff like, Oh, this food is so bad. I'm being so bad today. Like, I mean, Mm. I I just kind of let that stuff go because it's, you're right. There is sort of a, a barrier between, okay, I'm just, I'm off, I'm off duty. I'm hanging out. I don't necessarily need to be on edge all the time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I understand that. Yeah. It's, yeah, it can be like a delicate balance and like, and I really think something that's been helpful for me is that I feel like in the conversation, if I interject and say something right away, I feel like it falls on deaf ears, but like if it's a conversation later or, you know, if I kind of bring it up, at a time where it's more one-on-one, you know, if it feels like it's helpful, if, even if it's not for changing their mindset, but just so they know like, okay, this is her stance on this. You know, maybe this isn't something I want to say to her. Yeah. 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 And that's something I love about you, Kimmy. You're very, uh, tactful and, uh, direct, but you, you speak your mind, but you do it in a way that's super compassionate. And I've, I've been on the receiving end of that, when we met um, in person, and like I just really appreciate that about you. I think I think you're really skilled at that. Thank you. That means so much. And you know, like I, that's not the first time somebody's told me that. And I really feel like it comes back to like me having a long time where I was learning, and like in my time of learning all of this, like there was a time that I was a really fat phobic person. You know, like like many, many years ago when I felt really terrible about my body and now I'm a fat activist and I don't know, like I just, it's just so messy and like you're not a fat phobic person, that's not what I'm saying, but it just, I have so much compassion for just like we're all trying to figure this out together. Well, and we, like we, those of us who 
don't have lived experience in a fat body, like we need to step aside and like you said, listen, right? So we try, I think, I think if I could summarize my career, it's like, I'm trying so hard to, to continually learn how to say things with more gentleness and more compassion and more, uh, cultural competence and all of the things like I, I continually am learning. Ooh, mm-hmm. don't say it that way. Work on that. Maybe deliver it this way. Mm-hmm. Um, and despite yeah. all of that, you're still going to find holes in, in the way you're communicating or ways you could do things better. And I just think that that's hopefully something that as people who care about this work, hopefully we're all willing to continue to learn and really who we need to learn from are the people Mm -hmm. with the lived experience. So, Oh yeah, I couldn't agree more. And like the number one thing for me is that like, as I've been learning, I realized that there's so much I don't know and that I'll never know. And that, yeah, I just, I'll always be a student in way, one way, shape or form. Yeah, definitely. So Kimmy, tell me about, um, as you, so I need to just pause and kind of say, this is my belief and I'm interested to know if you feel the same way, but I really believe that when you love something or when you love a culture or an institution or a religion or whatever it might be, when you love something, Mm -hmm. I think that it means that you're willing to sort of gently and compassionately um, kind of dissect and pick apart and kind of talk about where things might be better. So I think a lot of people come to those conversations from the place of, well, if you're if you're criticizing, that means that you're against it or you're, uh, you don't like it or you want to burn it all down kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. But I, my belief is when you love something, you actually take the time to try to make it better. And, and so that's where I'm coming from when mm-hmm. I ask the question, uh, what do you wish? You know, I know Indian culture, there's lots of elements and lots of differences depending on location and families and all of that. But I'd be really interested to know kind of what's your perspective on what could be, if you could wave your wand, your magic wand, what, what would be good to, to, for you to see as far as differences or changes or improvements people mm-hmm. or cultures uh, could make? Yeah, great question. I think the first one would be that like mental health um, wasn't such a topic of stigma because I feel like there's so many people that are living with this trauma and like so much pain that they aren't given a place to process. And so if we kind of had more of a system in place and I guess like more ways of learning how to apply some of these great Western techniques and in a way that's suitable for like a collectivist culture um, in mental health care, that would be so great. And I think it would also bring us to a culture where more com- people are comfortable taking up space in their bodies, you know, regardless of their caste or skin color, gender identity, sexual orientation, size, um, disabilities, everything. I love it. So, so I, one thing that really stood out to me there was when you said, if we could, if we as a culture could figure out how to apply helpful tactics from Western culture into our collectivist society. I think that's a good point. But I also want to kind of flip that on its head. What about what can what can providers or Western, let's say eating disorder treatment, what can be done that would be more suitable or more helpful for those from more of a collectivist culture? 
Oh my gosh, such a good question. So, so like, are you you're asking what can providers here in the West do? Like, maybe learn some lessons yeah. from other cultures. Yeah. Gosh, I mean, I really. I guess where I'm coming from with that, Kimmy, is I think it's like your first point was that, okay, maybe Mm -hmm. those, those of us in, from Indian, uh, from, from India, maybe we can do better at applying these things to ourselves and we can figure out how to make it work. And I think that's Mm -hmm. relevant, but I also think, you know, maybe, maybe those of us in the West need to be more culturally competent too, right? Maybe it's a, a dual effort. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Yeah, no, no, I just, I just meant like, gosh, I just meant like, meant. I really appreciate that here the topic of mental health care has become more, a little bit more mainstream than it has there, and it would just be so great, you know, if if we had that stuff there. But gosh, yeah, there are so many things that like, there are so many pieces of Indian culture that I feel like could be incorporated in so many of the ways that we consider self care here. And I feel like one really big topic is like service, like service for your community and for your friends and also kind of on a greater scale and sort of this really selfless attitude of giving back and not asking for anything in return. And I don't know, like it's something where in the eating disorder community, it's, yeah, I see so many providers kind of doing that in a sense like with their social media pages like putting this stuff out there you know not necessarily to make money but to really spread the word and I guess like seeing that parallel and how it plays out here I don't know if that answers your question but it's yeah because it's like I guess I I would hate to leave I would hate to leave the message that like India has it all wrong and they're doing all this stuff wrong Especially knowing that, like, I'm sure the majority of your listeners are not Indian and maybe they're white. Like, I don't I don't know. But, like, there are so many great parts of Indian culture and there's so much to it that, like, people are fighting really hard for, like, to do better. And there are activists there that are doing so much. And I guess, like, as we're doing that, there's, like, still so many people that are struggling with mental health struggles, you know, that... I don't know. I feel like the culture isn't creating space for them to heal. If that makes sense. Yeah. So do you think our conversations in the West were really obsessed with talking about um, self-care and boundaries and um, those things that, you know, I think are great in, in a lot of ways. Does Do those messages of like, I feel like that's to me, maybe an untrained person, so correct me if I'm wrong, but to me, that seems very individualistic, and I wonder yeah. how that how that sounds or feels to someone who is from a more collectivist culture. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I mean, I that's how it has sounded for me, and so kind of me learning to hold those on one hand and decide how I want to bring them into my life um, as it applies to like my community and my culture. It's been an interesting process, and I also feel like we kind of have to create our own, you know, because a lot of the people that created like these models, like a lot of them are, I think most of them are white and it doesn't discount them. It just, but you could, it's just kind of their framework when creating sure. it, yeah. you know? And so like, that's why like if mental health care was just a bigger discussion in India, I just wonder how the models would be different or how uh, d- different models would even develop. And yeah, there are so many unknowns there. Yeah. So it sounds like providers and friends and support people and communities, 
I, I think ultimately what we need to do is become aware of of our own worldviews and how we look at the world and recognize others may look at the world differently and just come at come at these things from just a completely different place. And if we spend more time listening and understanding and uh, more time, sorry, did I say less? Mm-hmm. More time listening and understanding and less time, you know, just assuming or providing advice that might be really culturally uninformed. Mm-hmm. I think I think that's going to help all of us learn and also um, support each other better if we listen a little bit more. That was your, your point early on in our discussion. Yeah. I completely agree. Yeah. Like listening and like kind of being curious about stuff that may feel really confusing and really like just yeah, not what you're used to hearing. Yeah. So Kimmy, yeah. what are your favorite things about Indian culture? Like what do you just love about it and get excited about it and want people to know? Yeah. Oh my gosh. The togetherness. I mean, the togetherness and like the unwavering support and just kind of coming in hand in hand. I feel like yeah, I don't know. Like I'm even thinking back to my wedding and how, and how I. How many days long was your wedding, Kimmy? Um, four days long. Yeah, four days long. <laughs> your but pictures like, yeah. were beautiful. Like, thank you. What a so fun much. celebration! <laughs> thank you so much. Another favorite thing is Indian weddings. Gosh, another favorite thing is resilience. Like when I think of like all the, oh my gosh, all the people in India or even even overseas who are like the food feel very isolated because of what they're doing or what they're fighting about, or even if they have a very mainstream job, but they're just working away from their culture, just being able to do that. Yeah. I don't know. There's just, it's so much. So Kimmy, I went to a high school with actually a pretty decent population of folks from India and a couple of my really best friends from high school um, had parents who had immigrated from India. And I just have to say, I went to quite a few graduation parties, uh, graduating high school. And I, the hands down most fun I had <laughs> was my friend's, um, my friend's grad party that was just all her family, her aunts, her uncles, her cousins, and like all of us from school. And we, we all danced together and like partied all night. It was so fun. And the music was oh, I love bumping that. and like just everyone had the <laughs> best time. I, I still to this day talk about that. Like that was an epic party. That was so fun. Oh, I love that so much. Yeah, like the ability for us to come together and celebrate somebody and just really show up. Gosh, it's yeah, it really warms my heart. I was recently talking to somebody about my wedding and she's like American Caucasian. And she was like, you know, did you have to do all that? And she kind of saw it as like, this pressure was being put on me. I was like, No, you don't understand. Like, I wanted to like, this is kind of the way we do things. And it was, it was such a fun thing in every sense of the word. And yeah, I know it's not what everybody's used to. But boy, was it fun. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. And you had like, didn't you have like four different dresses that you wore? And um, yeah, four. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, it adds so... a layer of stress for wedding dress shopping. Sure. <laughs> yeah. I bet. <laughs> oh. oh, well, I love it, Kimmy, so much. Is there anything else that you would like to share? Is there anything else we kind of didn't hit on that you'd like the listeners to know about this topic that we covered today? 
Mm, I don't think so. Um, yeah. I mean, I hope that like the listeners walk away with it. I guess don't walk away from it thinking, oh gosh, like these poor Indians, like they're doing all these things wrong. You know, it's just like these are issues in the community. And I'm hoping that, you know, the people that are Indian who maybe are in recovery, who don't feel like their voice is being heard, you know, from their providers or feel like they're the only ones going through this, that they know that they're not alone. So Kimmy, just to just to kind of hit on your concern about people hearing like, oh, these poor Indians, my my strong opinion is that people will hear your story and hear what you've shared today. And regardless of, of, of their background as the listener, I think people will really resonate and relate to so much of what you've said. I think yeah. it is it is not unique to Indian culture to have profound pressure on on marriage and on then what does that mean about bodies and what does that mean about um, my eating and my relationship with food I think that um, I think that there's a lot of themes in what you shared today that is very much relatable across many cultures so um, yeah yeah, I think you did a great job of, of explaining so much of the fun and the good and the wonderful and the really good work that's being done in the activist space but also like, okay, if I could, if I wish, if I could wish that this culture would improve in this way or that way, um, you know, some constructive criticism is always good to kind of get us thinking and to see how we can strategize to be better. And to mm-hmm. me, that's just a really fair, balanced, reasonable way to talk about this. So I really appreciate yes. that. Very true. Very, very true. Well, thank you for your support and for listening to me talk about it. Thanks so much, Kimmy. It was so nice to talk with you. Well, I sincerely hope you've enjoyed this conversation. If you haven't already, please go ahead and leave a review on iTunes. Thanks again so much for listening, and we'll see you soon for another episode.